It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome on into another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Schusterman, uh, joined as always by my good friends, Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, fresh off a brand new top 100 prospects uh, list uh, and show, which uh, I enjoyed uh, on MLB Network. Uh, gentlemen, how are you? How are you doing, Jonathan? Uh, you, the top 100 is behind you and we're going to talk about it. Are you ready? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. Let's dive in. Okay, Jim, you, you ready to rock? I am. I am. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's just begin at the very top. Uh, I, I, if you have noticed on these recent podcasts, we've been talking top ten positional lists. I do like to talk about the guys kind of near the bottom of these lists because it's more interesting. Because those were the guys where you had to debate how are these guys going to get on. But let's start at the top and give some some courtesy nods to the best prospects in baseball. Of course, we've got Wander Franco at number one, Gavin Lux, Luis Robert, Adley Rutschman, Mackenzie Gore, Joe Adele, Casey Mize, Nate Pearson, Royce Lewis, and Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, if you thought I was going to read all hundred. You are very wrong. Uh, but let's let's just talk about that number one uh, discussion. Uh, was there any debate about who number one was going to be, John, uh, Jim, or, or was Wanda Franco kind of set in that spot up from the beginning? No, I mean, there, there, there wasn't much debate. I, I mean, I think you could argue any of the top four guys, you know, Franco, Lux, Robert, Rutschman as the number one guy. And, and I know there are fans out there who were like, why isn't Joe Adele number one? But um, I, I think you could have made a strong case for any of the first four guys on the list. But, you know, the, the first step of our process always is – Jonathan and I and Mike Rosenbaum do our own, you know, we put 120 or 125 guys in order and then kind of combine them. And we all had Wander Fra- Franco number one. I, I, as much as I love Lux and Robert and Rutschman, I mean, you're, 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 you're basically to, to, to give a, a short analysis, talking about a guy who has Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s offensive upside, which is, you know, pretty much unprecedented for someone his age. Plus he's a switch hitter. Plus he's a solid runner. Plus, he's a good defensive player. So it's like an, a, a super enhanced Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And he's put up better numbers at the same levels than, than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. did when he moved rapidly through the minors. So I, it, it was pretty easy for me. I, I think any of those four could have been number one in a given year. But I really didn't think much beyond Wander Franco at, at number one. Well, and Jonathan, I'm curious then, was number two a, a tough discussion? Because, uh, you know, again, you know, if any of these could be number one, did you lean? And, and was did it any, was there any difference, or did all three of you guys have Lux at number two? Jonathan, do you remember? Uh, I don't remember, but I we can did. find out. We did both. Have that. I, thought, I mean, I thought that was the case. I, I think that we, we all, we had the top four all exactly the same. Okay. Franco, Lux, Robert Rushman. But I think that uh, you could certainly have a conversation about ordering two, three, four, however you want. And um, like without sort of diminishing how good Gavin Lux is, I think the Lux versus Robert argument ends up somewhat being a floor versus ceiling argument. Again, Gavin Lux has tremendous ceiling. I think he's an all-star caliber player. He can do everything really well. But the reason I think he ends up ahead of Robert, Robert's tools are probably louder, but I I feel much more confident in Lux's 
the surety of Lux becoming like a, you know, whatever his floor is, which is really, really, really high. Robert, because of the swing and miss, I think it makes you pause for just a, a, a half a second. That's why I think we end up with Lux two and Robert three. Uh, looking uh, ahead, not to, not to, you know, bypass this whole list. Obviously we're going to talk about it here, but you know, looking at this, this, this top group, Lux already made the big leagues. Robert, you know, he got his extension. We'll have him in the big leagues for much of this year. People are saying maybe Wander Franco gets to the big leagues this year. Uh, is Wander still the best case to be number one at this time next year? Assuming everything's the same when he still has the rookie eligibility, uh, probably between him and Adley. Is there anyone else you could see kind of jumping up? Maybe Bobby Witt Jr. is another one. Uh, anyone you could could jump because Lux and Robert were definitely going to lose, and maybe even Mackenzie Gore and probably Adele too. So, um, Jonathan, any any of these names stand out to you, or is it still going to be Wander's spot to lose? Probably. I mean, unless something happens that alters the direction Wander Franco is coming, in. if he hasn't graduated, and I don't think he will have graduated, um, he he should be the, the top prospect in in twenty twenty one. I think some of the names you mentioned, you know, Bobby Witt Jr., sure. I don't know if Mackenzie Gore is just like ridiculous and doesn't make it to the big leagues, which I don't see that happening. Um, I think those are the only, the only, the only guys you know, I could think of. Um, you know, I'm gonna, I'll add in. No, I think that's it. I, I, I can't imagine anyone. Uh, I'm gonna add in. I'm gonna add him in for you because I know who you were gonna say, Jonathan. I, I do. I do think they might not. If Wander's in the minors, it would be hard to top him. But I do think. I think Jonathan was going to say Julio Rodriguez, and I will throw in Marco Luciano as super young guys who, if they went out and had an amazing year, could fly way up this list. But I, I, even as much as I like Rutschman, I think if Wander Franco's in the minors, unless something strange happens to him, he'll be the number one guy a year from now. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I Jonathan, you know I wasn't going to bring up J-Rod without uh, extreme bias, but I appreciate your instinct there. Uh, <laughs> um, let's uh, let's kind of look a, a little bit more uh, towards the, the, the broader uh, top part of this group. Uh, something I'm always interested in when putting these lists together is, you know, how you factor in hitter versus pitcher. Because if you, if you listen to our podcast on the top positional list, you can kind of see where we lined up the guys in the same position. And we already talked about that. Um, but when you guys do this, you know, philosophically, Jim, is there any sort of uh, a way you, you lean in favor of hitters that you trust more or pitchers if there's more upside there? Uh, because looking at this, I, see, I count, uh, what, five or seven pitchers in the top 20, some guys that have moved down like Whitley and Kopech for different reasons. Um, but then there's a little bit more of a run of the pitchers in the 20s. Where do you kind of lean in terms of valuing hitters over pitchers on a prospect list, Jim? Yeah, I, I mean, you try to balance them out, and there is more attrition with pitchers. I mean, back in the day, I remember having arguments, you know, back when baseball prospectus, and this was 20 years ago, would have their whole, you know, shorthand, there's no such thing as pitching prospect. And the flip side of that argument is, is that if you treat it that way, that you should only take, like, look at the Cubs, <laughs> who did a great job drafting position players, and they won a World Series. And, and for a while, you know, everybody wants to imitate the champion. So it's like, oh, that's what you should do at the top of the draft, take the best bats. And now the Cubs are kind of in this, you know, weird, you know, they, they've gotten a little bit worse every year, because they haven't been able to develop any pitchers. So if you, if you just ignore pitchers, and I'm oversimplifying what the Cubs did. But if you just ignore pitchers and say, well, they're risky and I got to take hitters over them, that, that's not a realistic way to build a team or do a prospect list. I, I guess the way I kind of look at it is if I have two guys who 
I mean, look, you're comparing apples and oranges. It's not like you can line up their tools against each other, hitter versus pitcher. If I have two guys who I feel are kind of the same, then yeah, I'll probably lean towards the hitter in a lot of cases, unless maybe it's a hitter with a lot of swing and miss, or there's some reason not to take the hitter. But um, I think this just, I mean, for me at least, it, it just kind of happens organically. I don't go into it saying, well, uh, I'm going to load up with, you know, what, 13 of our top 18 guys on here are hitters. I didn't necessarily do that. I think it's just a reflection of the talent. But at the same time, our list has been that way a lot in, in, in recent years, I think, too. Yeah, and Jonathan, is that is that a fair assessment? Because like I, I think it, it feels like there's just more to go wrong with pitchers. Guy can just totally blow out and get Tommy John if they just completely stop throwing strikes. Is it? Do you find it harder to overlook the the issues with the pitchers versus when uh, you know a hitter is just striking out a lot, like a Luis Robert or even an Adele in some cases, or like Royce Lewis's guy who had a pretty terrible statistical season. Of course, he broke back out in the fall league, um, but is, is it kind of easier to, to go wrong more with pitchers or do you kind of fall in line with what you mean? Yeah, I mean, there is more that can go wrong. I mean, I, I, you know, I think we try not to uh, look into the future with a doomsday approach when it comes to pitchers. We're like, well, I'm not going to rank this guy this high because pitchers can break down. Um, you know, I think that at the at the pitchers that we have on the list now gore is as high as he is because uh of, you know who he is it, you know, casey mize you know uh, had some some fatigue you know shoulder discomfort like that makes you pause uh you know nate pearson uh you know throws a gazillion miles an hour you know but he, he topped 100 innings. We don't know whether it's going to hold up for a whole season. He's the one that I'm like, if you wanted to say, oh, we should push him up the list further. But he made a huge jump up. Jesus Lazardo has had injury problems, right? You know, they, they all have, have had things already. I think that if there were more Mackenzie Gore type pitchers out there, um, and even he had, you know, the blister issues early, although I, I'm not, that didn't figure into not ranking him in the top four um you know then maybe you would see some of the 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 pitchers higher but yeah it's definitely more of a it's you know there are some cautionary tales uh over the years of ranking pitchers really really high and they don't end up panning out now that happens with hitters also but i feel less frequently uh, let's let's take a look a little bit farther down this list. Uh, one thing that you uh, noted in your your wrap up of of the top 100, Jonathan, is how many guys from the 2019 draft uh, ended up on this top 100. Um, and I think that's always a fun discussion. Is just getting these guys fresh into pro ball and sliding them into this list. Is 11 seems like a lot. Is that a lot? Do you guys remember if that is is a lot? And, and a lot of these some of these guys had huge pro debuts, like C.J. Abrams, uh, Andrew Vaughn's already gone up a few levels. Um, Jim, do you does this any have any historical significance, or is this about right where you uh, where you put them in? I think that's fairly typical. I don't have Jonathan's breakdown from last year, but it, it seems like it's always usually between ten and fifteen. I mean, we we knew this draft at the top. You had six very good players. They all rank, I think, in our top thirty-one prospects. Riley Green's thirty-one first six picks it wasn't as strong a pitching draft but Nick Dolo the top pitcher checks in at number 48 um so yeah I don't think I don't think it's like this is a historically uh deep draft or anything like that I, I do think we did have a historically gifted catching prospect in Adelie Rutschman and shortstop prospect in Bobby Wood Jr. and a lot of a pretty good group of hitters like I said at the top and he wasn't drafted but 
I would throw Jason Dominguez in there too. Like we've never ranked a, a guy out of the, the previous July two crop um, this high, this early. Um, and you can make a case if you were ba- ranking it based on sheer upside and you know, just, I guess, uh, floor, I mean, ceiling, but not risk. I mean, Jason Dominguez might be in the top five or 10 guys on this list pretty easily. Uh, by the way, there were, yes, I would agree with that. Um, there were 13 first rounders, from the 2018 draft who made the 2019 preseason list. Uh, I think the biggest thing is, is, is you mentioned Rushman and Witt. I don't know. We typically don't have guys uh, that high that quickly. Like Casey Mize was number 17 and Joey Bart was 22. That was a year ago. Those are the top two guys. And that that's probably more in line with where they usually are. We don't, we don't often have, new draftees as high as we have Rushman and Witt. But as Jim mentioned, I guess maybe the the lack of the pitching depth is probably what what hurt this draft class in terms of throwing guys uh, in the towards the top of the list, even if you have like that super duper high end talent. Um, is that is that fair to say? I mean Madolo honestly ended up higher than I think I expected. Uh, but like him being ahead of Brady Singer is interesting. I know he was a higher pick than Brady Singer, but where where Brady Singer was, I mean, it was where, where Lodolo. Did he did he have any uh, interesting discussion around him? We talked about when we talked about the left-handed pitching prospects. Him against Tarek Skubal is a fascinating fascinating contrast. Um, did did you guys have any uh, differing opinions on where to put Lodolo? Uh, I'm gonna check to see. We we had them all right around the same spot. Like the, the three of us ranged from number 48 to number 57. So that's a pretty strong consensus for a guy in the middle of the list there you go so well then i'm i'm curious with these with these three different lists and maybe maybe i have these and maybe i maybe i don't i have to get my spreadsheets in order here but um was there was there one guy um, in the top 30 that uh that any that either of you like you know bang the table for uh to put him higher or, or lower um that that maybe you ended up you know, pushing them up the list uh, or, or a guy that you, you think, you know, maybe, you know, we're trying to stay positive here, but maybe like uh, he ended up a little bit higher than, than I would have put him. Jonathan, does anyone stand out to you? Uh, I'm, I'm scanning uh, our original votes. Uh, I, I only see in the other direction. Um, and so I'm, tr- I'm trying to be positive. <laughs> Jim, I, like, I don't think there were any guys. The one guy, I was going to say the one guy in the top 30, because we, we, <laughs> we, we, we like to use our Excel functions. We, we run a standard deviation on our initial votes, and, and a lot of changes between our initial vote when we get feedback. The guy in the top 30 who had the highest standard deviation was Brendan Rodgers. Ooh, okay. That's a good one. We're, we're all over the place on him a little bit. Um, the guy in the top 50 who had the highest standard deviation was Jeter Downs. And I think the guy on the top 100 who had the highest standard deviation was Matt Libertor. Those were the – there were other guys too. But for the most part, there isn't – which is kind of interesting because, I mean, there's a lot of subjectivity to this. But, but, but most of the – there wasn't huge standard deviations on the vast majority of these guys. Those are some, some interesting names, Jonathan. Do, do any of those stand out to you as ones you, uh, you disagreed on uh, or – or, or fought for it, do you remember? No, I mean, you know, listen, Brendan Rodgers with the injury, I think, is a, is a reason why that you know, there were some differences there. Um, you know, in terms of other, everything else, Jim is right. We were, especially at the top of the list, largely in agreement. Um, I think I was the low guy on Jeter Downs. And, you know, one of the things that's great about the way we do is we put in our original top 100, and then we talk it through. And then, uh, then so... 
as we talked it through, I was like, you know what? I probably underranked him. Um, you know, I was a little more conservative with Tarek Skubal, uh, Skubal, uh, you know, just because it's been one, it'd been one year, uh, like, a, you know, I'm not a hundred percent convinced. Uh, so, but we kind of offset each other and I think we found a good, a good spot for him when all is said and done. So, I, you know, I think those were the guys that I was, you know, I was probably the, on, on the, on the low end of, um, and there weren't too many guys that I was like super high on that everyone had gone in the other direction. I'm, I'm speaking from the eye here. I don't want to talk for other people. That's, that's very, very kind uh, and respectful here, uh, Jonathan. I, I'm curious, uh, too, looking at, and there's, there's all kinds of uh, breakdowns of the top 100 on LB Pipeline that I encourage uh, our listeners to go check out. Uh, Jim has a good piece on the, the best tools uh, in the top 100 uh, with an excellent uh, infographic uh, as well, which is always fun. Um, and then, uh, of course, the, the which, which teams had the most. Fans want to see how many guys they have on these lists, and every team except for one, the Milwaukee Brewers, who we will get to, had at least one on this list but uh we were just talking about how you guys uh, are, are putting together the, the the top farm system uh list we're not going to reveal that but uh jim i'll ask you as you did this top 100 um did you gain any sort of insight into the, some farm systems that you actually were even better than you expected or is it more about the depth than the guys that end up on the top 100 for you um i do think when you're ranking farm systems at least when i do it <clears throat> i do look more i mean you, you factor depth and, and star talent and hitters versus pitchers and how close guys are to the big leagues. But to me, the most important factor is star talent. So while the depth does matter, and that's not necessarily revealed by who's on your top 100, I do think the top 100 is a nice window, if you will. Um, I wouldn't say there were any real revelations because we ranked the farm systems back at midseason, and we've done a couple stories on the most improved farm systems. So seeing teams like the giants you know put five guys on the top 100 or the tigers have four highly ranked guys like we kind of knew those systems were on the rise to begin with i mean did anything surprise you jonathan from a team standpoint i it didn't really i guess for for me no not not really and then and i you know i I, for me when ranking the farm systems it's you know obviously far from scientific um but it is a combination of having those impact to type players along with depth you know so uh, I'll give an example of a team uh, that's often been like at the very very top like the Atlanta Braves uh, you know they'll, they'll they still do okay because they have five players in the top 100 they still have some really highly ranked players but they're not as deep as they used to be so they're not going to be like one or two I don't think I'm giving anything away there um, I'm sure Braves fans will be upset by that, but too bad. Uh, but the, the point being that it's a sort of a combination of those, of those things, uh, you know, using, you know, a, a team that's got a ton of top 100 guys is, you know, likely going to rank decently. And then we sort of take a look and see, well, what, what's behind those top players, you know, or is there more coming, uh, for some of these up and coming organizations, um, uh, you know, like the Tigers, like the Mariners, in, in terms of building the farm system, uh, is is the system deeper than it used to be? Is it deeper than the other teams that we're considering? You know, I think that all enters into the equation. Right, and looking at the way, I mean, good thing about 
prospect points is it does, you know, weight pretty heavily the guys near the top, but it can be, you know, maybe sort of misleading if you have guys that, 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 you know, farm systems that only have, you know, two super amazing guys and then not much after that. Um, But then there are teams like the Cubs and the Mets who I do not anticipate being that close to the the top of the farm system rankings who each have four uh, guys on the top 100. Um, but are a lo- little bit lower down in the prospect rankings. Um, I-, I-, I do want to touch on the Brewers here quickly because they were the only team without uh, without a player. I know you guys are working on your top 30s right now, um, so I don't know if there was any debate about who the number one Brewers prospect is, but if we do want to shout out and, and give the-, the-, the great state of Wisconsin some love here, who was the, the Brewers uh, prospect closest to the top 100 if there if there was one even uh, in-, in consideration? Jonathan, I'm also not sure if either of you guys do the Brewers top 30. Um, that is a Mike Rosenbaum special. Oh, okay. Okay, all right. But uh, I will say that I guess the, the only guy that is in is top 100 adjacent, we'll say, uh, mm-hmm. or vicinity is Bryce Terang. Mm-hmm. Been on the top 100, uh, you know, but uh, did not make it this time. Um, you know, if he goes out and I think performs this year, I could see him climbing back on, but. Um, he 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 was the, I think he was the only brewer that I I know he's the only brewer that I remotely considered. Jim, well, you, you're wrong. I'm going to call you a liar, because I don't forget. <laughs> I, don't, I have no I have no memory. We, we, we all voted for Bryce Terang in like the 115 range when we we're doing the list. I think we all kind of see more impact. Oh. Jonathan voted for Ethan Small. Small. I did at, at the very very and and he just missed my list. I mean. Ethan Small's a real interesting guy because he was a redshirt junior, so he's a little bit older when the when the Brewers took me in a first-round draft pick last year. But he had one of the best statistical seasons in the country last year. Um, I think he, he led NCAA Division I in strikeouts and was second in strikeout rate. And it's it, it's kind of hard to explain. He, he might have the best some of the best fastball metrics in last year's draft. He doesn't throw, like, unbelievably hard. Like, he'll sit, you know – 89 92 a lot but there's just spin and angle and shape to his fastball and guys don't hit it and he came in and after a college world series run with mississippi state struck out 36 guys and walked only four in a brief big league debut and brief pro debut not big league debut but anyway i do think he's capable of of you know thinking about another brewer who, who was drafted without a lot of fanfare and wasn't a first-round pick. But Corbin Burns came out and had an unbelievable statistical year and vaulted into the top 100. So I, I could see Ethan Small um, uh, doing something similar. And, and I just called Jonathan Mayo a liar, but I may be calling him prescient. <laughs> Yes. Oh yeah. I just couldn't. I couldn't. The problem is, I'll, I won't remember that I was prescient. So, <laughs> yeah, Jonathan, he's he's giving you credit you didn't even know uh, you deserved. Um, future but credit, potential future credit, potential future credit. But I, I will say, um, I think that is interesting. I think Small's a great call there, and and just looking at, at sort of the guys farther down the Small, uh, Aaron Ashby, and Antoine Kelly, three lefties who all uh, I think have, I'm going to go out and say, if I'm allowed to make projections here, I think all three of those guys are likely, or not likely, but are are as just as good, if not better chance to get back onto the 100 than Bryce Terang, who Terang had a much worse statistical season than I uh, thought when I went back and looked at it. You just um, wanted to mention Antoine Kelly. And of course I want. Some Juco lefties. Yeah. I, I will say, looking at our <laughs> Brewers top 30 on our website right now, I had not noticed this before. Antoine Kelly is wearing the most ridiculous baseball uniform I've ever seen. I don't know if no. you've seen this. I love no, it. You got, 
I'm not even kidding. You go look at this picture right now. It, it's ridiculous. It. I'm he, going. You know what? I'm going. He, right after he threw that pitch, he started yodeling. Yeah, it's like it's like <laughs> oh. he's wearing. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the brats. Yes. Brats. Yes. Yes. Oh, Jim, you come uh, on, you know, man. You, you, we don't see the lower know. half, but I'm pretty sure he played that game in Lederhosen. That's what the top <laughs> looks like. How hard does Antoine Kelly throw in Lederhosen? These are the questions. He gains uh, a tick or two. I would hope so. Wow. Okay, here's an even crazier thing about – sorry to go down this road, but you, you brought this up. I'm pretty sure this was the only game he pitched with Wisconsin this season, and he yeah, happened he to be playing. He happened to be in this insane uniform. Yes, it didn't go very well for him. And but. it did not go very well. It was his worst outing of the season. So I think we need to get Antoine Kelly back into some normal normal clothes, and then we can get his prospect trajectory back on track. Jim, I'm did so you know, glad. Did you know, I know you're a big you fan of the small colleges, uh, yes. Jordan, that Aaron Ashby led all JUCO pitchers in strikeout rate, D1 JUCO pitchers in strikeout rate in 2018, at 15 point, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, 18.8. And then Antoine Kelly led all D1 Juco pitchers in strikeout rate last year at 19.1. I did it's know so that, cool. which is why I was asking about Aaron Ashby. And, and I think what it tells us is that whoever leads. Yeah, it's uh, exactly one, right. Yeah, whoever leads Division One Juco, ideally a hard throwing left hander this year, he will be a Milwaukee Brewer. It is yeah. it is fate. It is sealed. So it could be Connor Phillips, who's, who's the highest ranked junior college prospect on our draft but list right now. I, I was just reading about Connor Phillips. Although I believe he's right-handed. So, but but okay, maybe he is. He can, but he, he but can he can lead the nation in strikeouts per nine innings. He right. can keep the. Oh, oh that's he true. to be a lefty. I mean, that's ideally true. he's a lefty, but. We go Luke Little. We go Luke Little would be your highest ranked. He's not on our top 100, but Luke Little at San Jack would be your highest ranked JUCO left-hander. There you go. Thank you, guys. And he's six hope, eight and a monster. I'm, so. I'm glad that everyone tuning in for top 100 this chat is, is getting our rabbit hole we've fallen into right now. 2020 JUCO draft left-handers. But hey, the, I hope the Brewers fans appreciate it. They're, the Brewers fans are good fans, and they deserve some love too. Uh, so, but but let's then who, then who else? I mean, you mentioned the Giants and the Tigers. I know we've talked a lot about the. I, I know uh, Jonathan, you you had mentioned, or I I, I can't remember which one of you had mentioned that, that you really like the the Giants system kind of. Uh, trending in the right direction. Is there any other system that you got? I know you, you guys are also in the early uh, um, uh, stages of ranking the farm systems. If you could pick one group of, of top 100 prospects that you in particular really like, uh, uh, even if they're not all at the top, uh, do, do you, do you want to shout any team out? I, I, I can, I can, I can, I can pick a couple if 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 you guys want to want to. It's a very esoteric here. question. It is, um, but we need yeah. to do that. I will pick the Diamondbacks, who I think are another okay. farm system on the rise. And I think they'll continue to climb. I think their depth is great, but they aren't. Super, they don't have guys who are super high on our list right now. But Christian Robinson is, is a really intriguing mm -hmm. guy. I think Alec Thomas will continue to get more acclaim as one of the, the, the better hitters in the minors. Dalton Varsho is an extremely athletic catcher who had a really nice season. Geraldo Perdomo is a guy who, who we all saw emerge as a quality shortstop prospect in, in the fall league. And apparently Geraldo Perdomo is just making the Diamondbacks trade all of their other shortstop prospects. We'll touch Seriously. on that for a little bit. And yeah. then um, Corbin Carroll is, is a fifth top 100 guy, um, you know, a little smaller guy, but can really hit and run and play defense. One of the more intriguing guys. And, and he didn't make the list, but like kind of a pure offensive profile. You know, Seth Beer was not far off the li list of giving the Diamondbacks a, a sixth top 100 guy, which would have tied the race for the most on the list. 
Jordan, am I allowed to pick the Mariners? You are allowed to pick the Mariners, especially since I am not. So, um, sure you are. Whatever. Um, I'm not doing this to curry favor with our host, um, but you know they have the uh, five on the top 100, and they have guys at the top, obviously. And you know, right now Jared Kelnick is their their number one guy, uh, but I know that there's you know there's a lot of debate. You know the Kelnick versus Rodriguez, and I think Rodriguez has more, higher ceiling. Um, but uh, you know they could both be top ten prospects at this time next year. I mean, Kelnick might be in the big leagues. I don't know, um, but I like the you know I think what makes them sort of more interesting you know, than just those two is like the arms they have. I mean Logan Gilbert. I, I, I think you know, we ran him all the way up to 38, and we, I just have the sense that we may have him underranked. I just think he's a monster. Evan White's going to be in the big leagues this year. So I think Jim had mentioned sort of like you, when you're looking at farm systems, you talk about guys close to the big leagues, and they're starting to get guys to the upper levels. And, I mean, obviously Evan White's going to be in the big leagues. Um, you know, we, we snuck George Kirby on uh, at the end, uh, and then behind uh, I do the Mariners' top 30. So, I mean, there's – there are a lot of other guys. I mean, Justin Dunn didn't miss by a whole lot. Um, Nolvi Marte, I think, will be on the list a year from now. We saw what Kyle Lewis did in the big leagues. Jake Fraley's got tools. Cal Raleigh's going to catch in the big leagues. Um, these are all guys who are probably going to land in the top ten. So that, that that's a system that uh, it's much more fun to do than it was. Yeah. Years ago now with Jerry Depoto as general manager, if they start winning, it may all change in about five seconds. That is that is very true. Uh, also, I mean, man, no respect for uh, for Joe Rizzo, uh, Jim's favorite Joe Rizzo, but um, I, I, the staple of the bad Mariners prospect list. Um, I can't believe I'm going to go out of my way to talk about the Yankees. Do either of you guys do the Yankees list? I do the Yankees. Okay, so I this is this is the last specific one I'm, I'm curious about, but I think the Clark Schmidt Davey Garcia comparison is is interesting because um, Schmidt ends up uh, higher on the list. We we talked enough about Jason Dominguez; we don't have to talk about him. Only three Yankees on this list, and I, I'm curious to see if they show up on the farm system rankings because they they seem like a team with a, a lot of lower level depth. Um, but but let's talk about these two guys because uh, they really couldn't be more more different backgrounds or, or or look any differently. You know, Schmidt, you got the guy who performed in the SEC but has been hurt Davey Garcia this he's five foot nine maybe five foot ten who's kind of dominated the minor leagues last year uh, how was there any discussion uh, about Garcia versus Schmidt and uh, and how, how would you compare those two yeah there, there was in fact I mean when we do these like we all have different organizations that we're in charge of and I, I kind of advocated you know Garcia in our initial vote came out ahead of, of Schmidt and I kind of advocated for this one after doing some work on the Yankees list and and talking to people inside the organization outside the organization I mean look we have him close Schmidt's 88 Garcia's 92 and I think you know one of the things we haven't talked about is is you know when you do these lists people get really worked up over like oh this guy ranks ahead of that guy and we do put a lot of care into who ranks over whom but at the same time the difference between the guy who's like 75th on the list and the guy who's 95th on the list, it's a matter of taste. You know, that's generally not a big gap. And so I think you could debate these guys in either direction. I think, you know, Garcia's younger. He's 20. He's already pitched in AAA. He's got the best curveball on our top 100 list. Um, he's got a really good uh, fastball as well. He added a slider last year. Um, so if you're looking for 
you know, I wouldn't even call it wild stuff, but, you know, like a guy who, who's made a bigger splash at this point in the minors, it's been Davey Garcia. Um, you know, he, he's moved quickly. He's got that signature curveball. You know, where Schmidt, you know, it was you know one of the best pitchers in the SEC as a sophomore and a junior, but he blew out his elbow and had Tommy John surgery a month before the 2017 draft. Um, and he, you know, he really didn't get going until last year. Had a really nice year in Tampa. You know, three strong starts in double A to end the year. You know, he's three years older than Garcia, hasn't gotten this far, doesn't have the big pitch like the curveball. You know, what he does have, he's got two and four-seam fastballs that range from 92 to 97 with, with, with good life on both. He's got a tumbling changeup that's probably a little bit better than his curve. And, and to me, when I'm comparing these guys I, and, and talking to people about them, the reason I, had, I, I would have Schmidt and I advocated for him ahead of Garcia is – I think he's got a better chance to be a starting pitcher. He's got a better third pitch. Um, he, he's had a, he's thrown a slider in the past, so he has a fourth pitch. He's got better control. He, he's got, I think, a, a stronger, more durable frame. And while Garcia can probably make you look worse at the plate because he's got that curveball, he's 5'9". He's not as strong. He doesn't throw as many strikes. And really, the curveball breaks so much that you know it's going to be an issue we'll have to see. You know, even at the upper levels, when you get better hitters, guys recognize the spin on your hand. A lot of times they take it because they know the the ball breaks so much, it's not necessarily going to be a strike. So he's going to have to get to the point to prove, prove especially against the big leagues, they can land that curveball in the strike zone or else they're going to take it and sit on the fastball. So they're, they're close. I, I could see that, you know, I, I know there are people, you know, I've talked to people inside and outside the organization who will argue for Garcia over Schmidt. Um, I've talked to a bunch of argue for Schmidt over Garcia. Everybody could see it's close. In this case, uh, you know, the, the reason I, I pounded a little bit, I don't think I pounded hard on the table. I did not break the table um, <laughs> was that I think Schmidt has a better chance to be a starter um, and, and hold up in that role than Garcia does. There are cracks in the table. Yeah, it's, it all. sounds like it sounds like you're doing some damage to the table. I got to be honest. Well, and, hopefully not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I just felt like shit. I, a lot of it is the injury. But uh, as far as Yankees prospect goes, I feel like I have not heard uh, that much about him. Of course, the 16th overall selection, the 2017 draft. Um, and yeah, so, you know, maybe a little specific there, but there's no shortage of Yankees. Uh, fans that will always care about those things. Uh, all right. Well, uh, again, if you want more uh, Top 100 chat, there is a, a plethora of content on the MLB Pipeline website. Um, I highly encourage you all to check that out. Uh, before we get out of here, we have uh, some some news here because uh, we've got a, a prospect uh, in prospect trade. Uh, the, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, Jonathan, you are resident uh, Pittsburgh expert. You're going to have to give us your, your take here. Uh, the Pirates sure. have traded Starling Marte to Arizona. Uh, for two very young, very exciting prospects, uh, shortstop Leo Ver Paguero and right-handed pitcher who was just selected last year, uh, Brennan Malone, at uh, a high school, as well as some international bonus money. Um, so, uh, well, Jim, before we, we get to you here, Jonathan, I mean, you you are our, our Pirates uh, resident expert here. How do you feel about this deal in terms of a lot of discussion? Oh, they're, when are they going to trade Marte? They finally did it. They go for a farm system that has a lot of upside, a lot of depth. And uh, what do you think of the deal? I like the deal. Uh, and, you know, going in, I, I will freely admit I knew nothing about Leo Verpagero. Brendan Malone I saw in high school uh, and very much like him. Uh, but in, re you know, learning about Pagero when this trade was was coming down, um, I, I like the trade. It, you know, it's a little, you know, maybe a little high risk, high reward because both guys are so far away. Uh, but I happen to be talking to a scouting executive from uh, another organization uh, working on another top 30 list 
uh, who's saying like anytime there's a trade, he gets on the phone with, you know, pro scouts and his organization. Like, what do you think? And they love Pagaro. They think he's really, really going to hit. I mean, he really hit, you know, last summer, uh, but he's yet to hit full season ball, you know, but they think he, he's really going to hit. It's probably more power there has a chance to stay short, but if he doesn't, he's probably going to hit enough to play third. Um, so, uh, he, you know, he's really good. And Bren Malone, uh, I really like Bren Malone. I saw him in, in the National High School Invitational last year. He'd gone down to IMG Academy uh, to get better and to face better competition. And he did get better, and he sort of rose to the occasion, became a little bit more of a, of a pitcher. He's super athletic. Uh, I think he has a chance to to really fit the sort of power uh, frontline starter profile. It may take him a while, uh, but um, – I like I like the trade. I think you know the Pirates were not going to compete this year, and Marte was their their most tradable asset before the season started. All the other big leaguers, they need to go out and show that they can perform and or stay healthy before they have value, like maybe approaching the trade deadline. But uh, I think Ben Sherrington needed to start to kind of flip the switch and turning things over here, and, and Marte was the way to do it. And you know both of those guys are going to be firmly in the Pirates' top ten you know, in, 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 in 2020 and, and obviously for, for a while after that, but uh, it'll be a few years before they, they get here to Pittsburgh, but I like both of them. Yeah. Jim, have you heard a uh, similarly glowing uh, reports bigger? I mean, he's a year ago. I don't think anyone had really known anything about him, uh, but uh, any, any thoughts on either of these two young prospects? Yeah, no, I mean, I echo what Jonathan said. I mean, they're, they're, they're two high upside guys. I mean, we, we, you know, we just talked about the Dimeback system, and the, the only thing that presents the Dimeback system from ranking even higher when we do when we do our organization rankings is, I think they've got as much depth as just about anybody, and a lot of these guys are just getting started. You know, like Pagaro was, like Malone was, um, so they aren't as um, they aren't as advanced. But I mean, these these are two high upside guys. Um, you know, I, I think the amount of time it took Ben Sherrington to trade Starling Marte it speaks to probably the due diligence they did to kind of figure out, you know, what offers they could get and, and you know, what the best offers they were. Um, you know, it makes sense to trade Marte. He's under contract for two more years. The pirates don't look like they're going to win in the next two years. So, um, you know, why not? I, it's, you know, I didn't, I don't live in Pittsburgh. I didn't grow up in Pittsburgh. I, I am a Steelers fan, oddly enough. I'm not a, I didn't grow up a pirates fan, but um, it's gotta be frustrating to be a pirates fan where, you know, the Pirates are going to have, I think their payroll's down around $50 million right now. And I think it's got to be frustrating, perhaps, to some larger revenue teams who wonder, why are the Pirates collecting all this revenue sharing cash, and what are they spending it on? I mean, they, they trade away Garrett Cole in a trade that wound up being regrettable. They they traded for Chris Archer and gave up a ton in that trade. I mean, those weren't Ben Charrington's deals. But it's got to be a frustrating time to be a Pirates fan because – at least for me, looking on the outside, looking in, yes, this trade makes a lot of sense, and they need to rebuild. But they, in my mind, aren't anywhere close to having a contending team. Like they have a decent farm system. It's not a particularly, you know, like star-studded farm system, and there aren't a whole lot of, you know, cornerstone assets on the big league club. Uh, you know, this this is, I think, going to be a long rebuilding process for the Pirates. Yeah, and uh, Jonathan, I'm sure you have some thoughts on that, and I think that's a, a fair critique. I'm I'm curious, just based on the reaction that I was seeing from some some Pittsburgh people, and maybe to turn this more prospect specific too. Um, there seems to be a bit of a crisis, Jonathan, about who the heck the next catcher is for this team. Um, there's there's not something in this organization right now, or at the big league level. And Dalton Varsho would seem like a pretty obvious talent. Now I have no idea if he was discussed. 
um, in this trade or if he was off limits for the D-backs. Who knows? Um, he reportedly but, was off limits. In, okay. in one story I saw, it was okay. implied that he was not made available in the trade. Right. Okay. Well, so so there you go. I mean, I, I just that looked like a pretty obvious fit, but I guess even Dalton Varsho alone might be more valuable than than these two guys. But Jonathan, do you have any any thoughts about that? The general uh, future of the, the yeah, catching there's, position. Or? There's no catching. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there really is no there. There's no catcher in the top thirty. There, you know, as of right now, there isn't even a catcher being considered for the top thirty. Right. Um, so. It is. It is an. That's ex- just a small part of the issues, but. <laughs> right, right, right. No, no, that is just a small part of it. You know, you don't make a trade just because of that need, and you know, uh, if our show was not even you know on the table at all, it's fine. But I think if you're looking at that at the farm system and you're realizing that you really need to turn things over and it gets you know thin at the at the bottom, you know, you have you know Keller will be in the big leagues, Brian Hayes is close, yeah, O'Neill Cruz will be at the upper levels, and those you know those are the main guys. Um, getting two high upside guys makes more sense than one guy that you that you have a need for. Now, then add in the fact that Dalton Varsha wasn't even available, then it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if you see them find some catching, um, uh, you know, late, later on when they start trading away some other ass- other big league assets, depending on how how the year goes. Yeah. And I was just going to chip in, like, you know, they, they do pick seventh overall in the draft. And in, in case anybody's wondering, there's not a catcher to take in that spot. I mean, we, we have some catchers somewhat high on, on our list, you know, potential first-round picks like Tyler Soderstrom and Patrick Bailey and Austin Wells and Drew Romo, a couple of high school and a couple of college no. guys there. But you can't take any of those guys at seven. No, um, they all have question marks. At this point, that, that would be way too high. So, um, you know, they might address catching in the draft, but it, but it won't be a guy who's going to jump way up their prospect list when they get him. Yeah, perhaps uh, perhaps it would be uh, easier to take with their second pick. They also have uh, the a comp round pick, uh, the 31st selection uh, will go to the Pirates. So maybe that will make sense for one of those uh, catchers there. Uh, but uh, there you go. Uh, I will say, oh, last note on the Pirates, I really do believe that it will basically all just come down to whether O'Neill Cruz is like a star or not. Like, I feel like he, he could sing, like if he is amazing, everyone will go on to watch this six foot eight freak playing short. He'll be like seven foot two by then. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so O'Neill they need Cruz. To get, you know, they, we need to get O'Neill Cruz. If they remake airplane, O'Neill Cruz should be the pilot. <laughs> Oh my God, that is a great, okay. that is somehow a reference that I actually got. And I appreciate that, Jim, uh, for the very, they might be older than you though, right? Oh, it definitely is. But it is a movie that I've seen. So thank you for the reference. Uh, and thank you, uh, both, uh, for joining me here on this prospect adventure. Uh, as always, uh, I encourage everyone to go check out the, the top hundred content. Uh, keep an eye out for the top thirties, which are coming out in the next, uh, I guess, March. When's the first one start? February. We'll start coming out in February. All right. So you'll see some top 30 lists soon. You'll see those top uh, top forum system lists. And uh, you can always get your, your prospect fix at MLB Pipeline. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm your host, Jordan Schusterman. And we will talk to you very soon.